0: Sometimes we, we, we tend to you know, cover up some, some things that we feel like are um, weaknesses and uh, they're not really that weak. Uh, and we just kind of said, let's go play. Um, and probably a little bit more aggressive maybe in the second half and, and, and just let the guys play.
1: Hey, I'm telling you, aggressiveness kills this point of the season. You also, I don't know if you guys saw some of the audio of Brian Kelly in the locker room. October is for pretenders. November is for contenders. It's looking like LSU might be a contender after all. Maybe not for the playoff, but hey, anything's possible. You look at how things are kind of unfolding right now in the SEC. Not many people playing better in the SEC West than the LSU Tigers. I'm Greg McElroy. Along with me, as always, is Mark Kubiak. Welcome to the Monday, October 24th edition of Always College Football. We hope that you had a great weekend. What a great weekend of college football. It really was. It was an awesome, jam-packed Saturday full of action, but we also had some good games on Thursday and on Friday. So we're going to get into all the different matchups. I'm really excited about some of these breakdowns because it really feels like the first time we're starting to get some real clarity, right? I mean, it's you know it's a while there, and there's still some teams, and we've talked about this. There's still some teams that I'm still trying to figure something out about, man. It's like, yeah, you know, I mean, they're they're rolling, folks, but who have they played? But it does feel like now, whether it be this past weekend or this upcoming weekend. We're starting to get a little bit more clarity about what these teams may be. All right, so we're going to hit a bunch of the games from this past weekend. We're going to play low-hanging fruit like we do every single Monday, and you want to stick around for that because it might involve a certain quarterback situation of a certain top five team. And you also probably want to listen to the big takeaway of the day because prognostications are fatal. I'll just leave it at that. More on that here in just a little bit. But let's get into the breakdowns. Let's get into the matchups. Let's talk about it. All right, let's get into one of my favorite matchups of this past weekend. It was the site of College Game Day. And there's something about College Game Day being on where three quarters of the show's in pitch black that just gets me going. I, I don't know what it is. Probably because I'm dragging on Saturday mornings. It's like long five-day week, work week. Let's get up. We got game tonight, but I'm going to be li- I'm going to be lazy. I'm going to kind of relax, go for a little workout. But seeing college game day on in the middle of the night, essentially, always gets me fired up, especially around Halloween, right? So let's get there and talk about the dominance that was on display from the Oregon Ducks. I thought UCLA would win this game. I thought UCLA's misdirection. I thought UCLA's speed. I thought Chip Kelly's acumen and experience in games like this. And ultimately, UCLA's veteran leadership on both sides of the ball, I didn't think they'd be impacted by a road environment. And they weren't. That's what I think was most impressive about what we witnessed on Saturday. UCLA was good. Oregon was on, for lack of a better term, in some ways flawless. I mean, they really were. It was terrific performance from start to finish. Let's start with Oregon. A couple takeaways from me. Kenny Dillingham, the offensive coordinator, enjoy him while you have him because he is going to get a head coaching job sooner than later. The creativity that he has on display Getting into the tempo stuff, the offensive line's been playing great, but the way that they can buy numbers with quick little easy pulls with playside guards, stuff like, like, it's just a really fun offense to watch. That's number one. Two, look at what Bo Nix is doing under his tutelage. I'm not necessarily suggesting Bo Nix belongs in New York. I'm not. But if you are still hung up on the good bow, bad bow narrative, you're living in the past. You need to evaluate what Bo Nix has done over the last few games because he's been awesome. And he was great again this past weekend. If you look at what he did, stood up to the challenge of a pretty solid UCLA defense. 22 of 28, 283, five touchdowns, added 51 yards on the ground as well. And how about the deep strike? The 49-yard pass to Tony Franklin, just dropping it in the bucket from, gosh, 55, 56 yards away. Just a thing of beauty. And if there was always a downside on bonix it was really two things. It was one, he turned the ball over. We haven't seen any of that. Even though the biggest matchup that everyone watched there in the first game of the season, a couple early picks, so it's going to be difficult to shed that label. People are going to just have a firm opinion on what you are as a player, based on the times they've seen you, and they probably, if I'm going to be completely honest, haven't watched Bo Nix or Oregon enough in the last six weeks because he's a completely different guy these last few weeks, man. And the other flaw in Bo Nix's game is he never really had a great deep ball. He was very erratic, very hit or miss. Now, there were some games where he'd drop it in and it'd be a thing of beauty. LSU last year reminds me of a game like that. Arkansas last year hit some downfield throws, but really for the most part of his career, very, very hit or miss on some of the downfield passing attack. Not the case right now with how he's dealing the football. He's also got some pretty good pieces that are stepping up around him. Think about where Oregon is right now. They're the only undefeated team remaining in the conference. I'm not talking about total win-loss record. I'm talking about in Pac-12 play. They're the only undefeated team. USC fell to Utah. Utah fell to UCLA. UCLA, of course, fell to Oregon. So only the Ducks remain unscathed. They essentially, unless they fall apart, and I I don't anticipate this, they punch their ticket to the Pac-12 championship game. Quickly on UCLA, when you watch them, watching the game and watching the coaches' tape, I was honestly shocked at how wide the margin was between Oregon and UCLA. Now, the onside kick, incredible timing, incredible execution, Great job of stealing a possession. But if you look at where UCLA was, I mean, goodness gracious, it's like 7, it's like 10-10. Next thing you know, UCLA gets the ball back. It's 24-10. It was like a blink of an eye. So that was a great job of stealing a possession. But if you watch them, man, I mean, they were able to move the football with a lot of consistency. They got seven drives this past weekend. Seven drives got inside the Oregon 30-yard line. Three times they settled for a field goal. And, of course, they had an interception there in the red zone as well so red zone offense was ultimately what sealed their fate their inability to punch it in and oregon's ability to stand up as the field condensed dtr was great charbonnet was great but they weren't great enough in the critical part of the field in order to put enough points on the board to knock off what appears to be a very real oregon football team ton of respect for what i saw this past week and if they can carry that over Do not rule Oregon out of the playoff run. I'm not saying that they're going to make it. I'm just saying do not rule them out right now because that to me was dominant on display this past weekend. And with plenty of big moments coming up in the final month of the season, I would not be that surprised if a one-loss Oregon team that wins the Pac-12 is very much in the thick of the discussion here six, seven weeks from now on Selection Day. All right, let's move next to another incredible game from this past weekend, the Texas Longhorns on the road against the Oklahoma State Cowboys. What a game. Just an awesome game from start to finish. There were big moments. There were huge swings in momentum. There were big plays on both sides of the football, offensively and defensively. So this game had a little bit of everything. Now, it was occasionally sloppy, and the quarterback play was occasionally erratic. But for the most part, man, it was a highly entertaining football game and it felt a little bit like a throwback to the Big 12 of old where, man, it's like these offenses can't be stopped. And yet, in the second half, screws got nailed down and things looked much better for both defenses. there in the final 30 minutes. Let's talk a little bit about where Oklahoma State is coming out of this win. What a win it was, too, because this was a gritty win, man. Oklahoma State was essentially playing with one arm tied behind their back with some of the injuries and attrition that they've experienced, okay? Braden Johnson was out. Jaden Bray was out. It was likely the replacement for Johnson. Center Preston Wilson remains out at this point. He's missed the last few weeks. On defense, Brandon Evers this past week decided to declare for the NFL draft, citing injuries. You look at what's going on, the rest of the groups on defense. You got Brock Martin, who's inactive with a left foot injury. Then you got Thomas Harper missed the game. And then you think about, too, Jabbar Muhammad had to go to the safety spot, which, you know, made it very difficult. Next thing you know, you got Black and Cam Smith there starting a corner. I mean, we're talking about, and then, by the way, they lost a couple guys throughout the course of the game, including Dominic Richardson. I mean, this was like a mash unit there for Oklahoma State there at the end of the game, and that was when they were playing their best football. So credit to the depth on the roster to be able to step up when their number was called and to be able to rally from 14 down throughout the course of the game and then 10 down there at the end of the third quarter was really impressive. I think Spencer Sanders earned a lot of respect with me. He's been banged up. He's got that shoulder injury. And he fought through it. 57 attempts was the most he's ever had. And to do so on a sore shoulder, I can't imagine how challenging that must have been. But the wide receiver core, I think, is probably the biggest takeaway for me. A group that I wasn't really a whole... really I wouldn't say I wasn't confident in, but I wasn't, I wasn't really convinced that they were going to be able to take over the game the way they did. But they did. Man, Bryson Green, Jalen Paul Richardson, uh, Johnson, who's a true freshman who's making his first start. I mean, you look at Greens. I mean, he had a career day uh, in the process against Texas Longhorns. So I thought it was a very impressive performance from the offense and then defense, but Jason Taylor, a couple picks there as well. And they really didn't play well on special teams. They had the punt blocks and the tackling was rough in the return game, missed a field goal. I mean, man, it was not a pretty day for Oklahoma State, but they found a way to win. Moving over to Texas, they were kind of the hot team in the Big 12. Hey, you don't want to play Texas right now. But it further proves, man, going on the road in college football is an impossible task in times. And it was so tough. I know it was windy, but that was by far the most erratic Quinn Ewers has been at any point in his college career. Just 19 of 49 throwing the ball with three picks. Now, I know the last pick, a deflection off the intended receiver's chest. So it's not totally on Quinn Ewers. But the play before the last pick, or the play before the second to last pick, whatever it was, was picked, but they whistled it dead. So, I mean, he just didn't have his best stuff. And the other thing, too, I didn't love the plan from Steve Sarkeesian. I thought early on it was really nice, but, man, he threw a lot of deep balls in there. It felt like Quinn Ewers was constantly pushing the ball down the field, and those are low-percentage throws, especially when the wind was up or near 20 miles an hour. I just, I thought they were a little bit too aggressive, but... All things considered, man, a really great performance from the pokes. And then to kind of, I, I don't want to say rattle Quinn Ewers, but he just didn't look comfortable at any point in the game. He didn't look comfortable, and that's a testament to the defensive looks that Derek Mason's group was giving him. Even though it wasn't a flawless performance defensively, they did a lot of good things because, I mean, Bijan John Robinson, 181 yards, he got his, that's for sure. And if you look, too, that third-quarter performance there for the pokes and texas had just one first down in the third quarter, and they averaged 2.4 yards per play so uh, and then on the other side i mean they gave up 12 first downs in the third quarter the third quarter told the story in this game man so a ton of credit to oklahoma state texas the penalties they just it was a tough watch and i'm not gonna listen to the conspiracy theorists telling me that well that was a That was a ploy to kind of not, Texas is leaving the league. Big 12 is going to show them. Dude, I'm not listening to that. Like, yes, have I ever seen a game in which there were 14 penalties against one team and zero against the other? No, (laughs) not off the top of my head. I don't recall that ever happening, but there were also, you know, a couple of calls late too that were very critical in the actual outcome of the game. So uh, if I'm Texas, similar to the conversation we had last week about Alabama. If I'm Texas, I'm looking at it internally. I'm saying, what can I do better to best avoid the penalty situation biting me in the games to come? I'm going to focus a little bit more on third down because that was maybe the most problematic aspect of the game, just 3 of 17 and 0 for 2 on fourth down. So in drive-extending situations, 3 of 19, that's not going to get it done. It's not going to get it done. I don't care how good your offense is. It's not going to get it done there in the big 12 or in any conference for that matter. So a great win for Oklahoma state, but it proves that Texas still has an awful lot to work on.
0: Are you at all concerned about Texas giving up another double digit halftime lead?
1: Yes. I mean, I've been concerned about that for a while. I mean, the Texas tech game, they're up 31 17 felt like it was in cruise control, felt like it was game over this, of course, another game in which they gave up a big lead. Uh, especially to a team that was banged up and got more banged up as the game went along. Obviously we know that that was a huge theme and a trend last year. So yes, it's concerning, but in fairness, there have also been great performances here in the last few weeks where they played great in the second half. So yeah, I'm concerned about it, but they played great against West Virginia. They played great against Oklahoma, both of which in the second half of the football game, they were completely dominant. So Yes, while I am concerned, I, I don't feel like it's you know, a nail in the coffin for what this team could ultimately become. I mean, you look at the rest of their games, yes, there's a lot of difficult games remaining, but they still could very easily get to 9-3. and three. Even 8-4 and four would be significant progress from where they're at last year, and knowing that they did have a bit of the injury bug in the early part of the season. All right, moving on next to another game in the Big 12, the TCU Horn Frogs, also known as the Comeback Kids, also known as the Hypno Toads, going up against Kansas State. Now, this was probably one of the more wild games that TCU's played in the last week because I think the only crazier game that we could think of on their schedule so far was the game against Oklahoma State seven days ago. So for them to be, to just flip things immediately, I mean, Kansas State was in full control. I mean, absolutely full control, but right before halftime, that 91-yard drive that Max Duggan orchestrated, found Jared Wiley, obviously, on the touchdown to cut the lead to 28-17 at the break, that drive completely changed things. I mean, you could point to that one specific drive and say, all right, that's where it flipped. That's where it changed because when you look at that and then the fact that they got the ball coming out of the second half, Went, made it a one-possession game, went 77 yards, capped off by the Kendry Miller touchdown run. Miller, of course, continues to remind everybody he's the most under-talked-about player in college football. The guys went for another 150 on 30 carries. So he complements this passing attack beautifully. But that was the turning point, man, for sure. Some might say, well, the turning point happened when Adrian Martinez went down. Uh, I don't know if I'd go that far. I mean, Will Howard stepped into what was a fairly difficult situation. I thought they looked really composed. I mean, man, he had he had complete control of the offense, and he built up that lead to an 18-point lead where they're sitting there in cruise control at 28-10. I mean, they played most of the game without Adrian Martinez, and still there was a point there in which it felt like it might actually completely get away from Kansas State or from TCU in favor of Kansas State. So I thought Will Howard did a good job. Of course, he got banged up as well, came back into the game. But either way, Will Howard, I think the offense can still be very successful with him. I still and I've been searching the Internet all morning, searched it all last night. I still haven't found anybody that can tell me what's going on with Adrian Martinez Uh, Of course, it's been well-documented. There was not a sideline reporter on that crew, so I I don't know. I still, at this point right now, as we're taping this podcast on Sunday, I don't know what forced him to the sideline. I don't know if it's going to be for an extended period of time. I've read everything that I feel like I could read to try to get some clarity on the injury, but ultimately not a good situation because of how important he is to complement Deuce Vaughn and to complement the rest of that rushing attack and just how good he's been up to this point of the season. So another great week for TCU. We wondered, we talked about it. We said, could they rally? Could they ramp it up again? Five straight weeks where you're trying to bring your A game? Man, that is a tall, tall task. But they did. They survived. And now look at TCU's schedule. All right? They should, for all intents and purposes, barring an injury or something unforeseen, they should be favored in every game down the stretch. We could very well be looking at an undefeated TCU team playing in the Big 12 championship with a right to go to the college football playoff on the line. And for those of you out there right now that are one loss teams that are hoping to be at large selections, uh, the loser of Georgia, Tennessee, um, you know, Syracuse, even though it feels like a little bit of a long shot, Oregon, a team with one loss. Uh, who's very much in the playoff mix. UCLA, USC, all teams with one loss out of the pack right now. They could maybe just, they got hot, maybe make a run to the college football playoff. You look at a Wake Forest. I don't think they're going to get in, but ultimately, yes, there are plenty of one loss teams. Penn State. Plenty of one loss teams with a ton to play for, but they need to be watching what's going on with TCU very, very closely because that is the least talked about undefeated team in the country. And with what they have coming up on the schedule, Things look very manageable. Knock on wood for Sonny Dykes here in his first year.
0: So which game, I guess if you're a TCU fan, would scare you the most? Is it, is it at Texas? Yes. Uh, okay. Or I, was, I didn't know if at home versus Texas Tech, but you think at Texas is the one that they really have to be the most
1: careful with? No doubt. They have actually played very well against Texas, and Max Duggins beat Texas twice. And we haven't seen a TCU team that's as good as this TCU team with Max Duggan at the helm. So he won't be scared, and he's been the alpha dog leader for that group offensively, and they've followed his lead pretty much all season long. So I I think that they match up okay against Texas, but I wouldn't say they match up great against Texas. I do think that that will be a very difficult game. Texas Tech is a tricky one. Texas Tech, of course is always a tricky one. Never really know what you're going to get with them. Look what they did this past weekend. I mean, maybe the performance of the weekend. So I think it's difficult to gauge exactly where TCU might slip up. I don't, when I watch them, I don't see an undefeated team. Like I see flaws. But ultimately, I'm starting to see flaws everywhere. (laughs) With the exception of maybe Ohio State up to this point, because Ohio State hasn't played anyone that could actually expose their flaws. But maybe they will. This week, when they tee it up against Penn State, more on Ohio State here in just a second. All right, let's get next to one of the biggest surprises of the weekend when LSU, they didn't just beat Ole Miss. They dominated Ole Miss. All right, another week, another really slow start for LSU. At some point, maybe they'll come out of the gate swinging. I know they did against Florida. Man, their performances in the first quarter of football games are like, what is going on? And then, sure enough, they settle in, they make adjustments at halftime, and they somehow find a way to get it going, both offensively and defensively in the second half of football games. The guy, I mean, shoot, Brian Kelly and their staff, they might be better in the second half than anybody. I mean, with just how they've been able to outscore and manufacture opportunities for their players, man, it has been. Very interesting, but they're in a 17 three hole and it's starting to think, Oh boy, this thing could look a lot like Tennessee 2.0, but no, that's another sign of growth for Brian Kelly's team. Of course, look, they talked about being well conditioned. They've talked about how they're a second half football team. Well, let's talk about a couple of performances just looking at how they've ended. All right, Florida state game ended. We know that they were on a big time run. Uh, they ended the game on a 22 to 7 run. Mississippi State they ended the game on a 31 to 3 run. Auburn they ended it on a 35 to 3 run and then Ole Miss they ended it on a 35 to 3 run. So how's that right there as a team that settles in, makes adjustment and then finishes with a flurry? Big part of the reason why they're in this position is because of Jaden Daniels. The last two games showed us what a difference maker this guy is. He's become a dynamic player. We knew he could run it. We knew he could create on his own. But now he's actually going through progressions. Now he's actually keeping his eyes downfield as he scrambles and is willing to deal it if a guy uncovers or if a defender commits to him, leaving a receiver open downfield. I think it's been wonderful to watch his transition and his growth Over the course of the season, you can make a case based on where he was game one versus where he is now. There might not be a more improved player from week one to week eight than Jaden Daniels. I mean, he'd be in the mix. Like If there is a most improved award from week one to the end of the regular season, Jaden Daniels is on the short list right now. He was okay, not spectacular, not willing to really throw the ball, try to do it all himself against Florida State to where he's at now. It's a night and day difference, and they're obviously reaping a lot of rewards of it. We know the run play and the run game was big. This offensive line completely imposed their will, particularly the right side of this offensive line, completely imposed their will against an LSU defensive front that had three defensive linemen on the ground and just got absolutely mowed off the ball. So I didn't love the defensive plan from Ole Miss whatsoever, and LSU just took it right to him with a downhill physical rushing attack, and then they complemented it with some quarterback run. They complemented it, too, with some of the pass game, which they're just hitting guys at 15-yard curls and just boom, 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 right down the field, patient and methodical. If you look at Ole Miss, it's almost as if Lane Kiffin's like, play the defense that gives us the most fits. Well, defense that gives Lane Kiffin the most fits is a defense that wants to keep everything in front of them. So what does Ole Miss do? They drop deep, they give up the underneath stuff, and LSU killed them time and time and time again on throws that were thrown 10, 12, 8, 6 yards downfield and turned into a decent place because of yards after catch. So an impressive performance for LSU that sets up a much-needed bye week in the absolute grind of Brian Kelly's schedule. Man, it is a gauntlet there for a five-week period. Not necessarily all the best teams, but man, the places that he's had to go in some cases, brutal. Having to travel to Auburn, even though Auburn's not good, having to travel there, very, very difficult. Of course, we know he had Florida State week one. He has had a couple cupcakes in there for sure, but for the most part, man, this gauntlet that he's on right now, I'm not sure he's ever experienced anything like it in his coaching career because Notre Dame, albeit playing a very difficult schedule... It did feel like their schedule occasionally went really hard, really easy, really hard, really easy. It's not a shot, it's just the way that their scheduling has worked out over the years. But it's definitely looking to me like Brian Kelly is going to have his team ready to play at an insanely high level every week, regardless of who the opponent is. So a great win for them. Finally, we'll cap it with two of the biggest stories, two of the biggest games, two of the biggest teams, two of the biggest brands. If we didn't get to your game, stick with us. We still have questions and answers. We have low-hanging fruit coming up, so just hang with us. We'll probably get to them in a moment or two, but I want to talk briefly about Alabama, and I want to talk briefly about Ohio State. Let's start with Ohio State. What could have been? It was a complete beatdown, and yet they couldn't score in the first half of the football game. Settling for field goals, couldn't punch it into the end zone, and yet there they were still in cruise control at halftime, up 26-10. But I felt like I was going to get a little bit more from them in the first half of that football game. It's just a bad matchup for Iowa. You're going to hear me say something similar about Mississippi State in a minute. It's just a bad matchup. Not that Iowa's a, a great you know offensive football team, but when Ohio State has that much of an advantage when it comes to speed and athleticism, it's almost impossible to try to neutralize that gap Unless Ohio State helps you out like they did the last time they played to the tune of several interceptions, several short fields, and Iowa being the momentum team that they are, they just will keep pounding you, pounding you until they finally put some points on the board. So, not a good performance from Iowa, but Ohio State's the real deal. Like, do I really need to explain that to you? I mean, (laughs) it shouldn't require much explanation. I don't think they've played anybody. I made that clear last week when I ranked them fourth, and I still think they'll appropriately be ranked in that range, You know, whether you have them two or eight, it doesn't really matter. They will have their season and their strength of record and their strength of schedule get a significant uptick in my eyes this week if they can go to Happy Valley, And take care of business in convincing fashion against a Penn State team that I think is pretty good. I don't like to have you know like-minded, you know. Oh well, what did what did Michigan do to Penn State? What does Ohio State do to Penn State? Well, Michigan beat them by more than Ohio State did, so Michigan must be better. Like I don't draw conclusions like that, but I do know that Penn State matches up better against Ohio State than they do against Michigan. It's because they have great corner play, and against Ohio State, you better have guys that can cover because they will flat out tear you up in the passing game. So I don't think they match up great against Michigan, because I don't think they're very good at the second level defensively, and I also think they guess and try to do a little too much at the second level from time to time, and it gives up big plays in the run game. You don't want to give up big plays in the run game to Ohio State either. They'll kill you there. But I do think they match up a little bit better on the perimeter than Michigan does, so look forward to breaking that game down here in the next couple days. And then finally, Alabama. They get back, okay? They get back. And a guy that had kind of come under some fire, Eli Ricks, I think he probably had his best game in an Alabama uniform. He was completely locked down in his first start. Looked really solid. Looked really strong. But let's get back to the basics here, man. The air raid against Nick Saban is a bad matchup. I mean, it's a bad matchup. Nick Saban put his two best edge defenders they're on the inside edge of the tackle to stop the run. If they're on the outside edge of the tackle, that'd be to stop the pass because you want to try to get a big old edge rush. But when you line them up inside, the reason why you're doing that is because you don't want to allow them to run right behind one of their guards and the guard not being challenged whatsoever in route to the second level. So I, I look at this team and and I think that you know there's a lot that you can like about what they do. There's no doubt. There's a lot that you can like about what they do. But ultimately, man, I have legitimate question marks about Mike Leach and the air raid system being an indicator of future success. I just, Alabama has absolutely dominated Mike Leach, absolutely dominated him since he's been in the league. It's a bad matchup. They have superior personnel, they're great tacklers. They're able to pass off the routes. Mike Leach's whole offense is predicated on man versus zone. Well, when your zone coverage looks like man and feels like man, and for all intents and purposes is man, it's very difficult to get those read indicators, which ultimately makes it very difficult to run your offense with great efficiency. Alabama, as long as Mike Leach continues to do what he does, will win this game convincingly every single year, unless Alabama turns it over. Just, it's a bad matchup for Mike Leach. He hasn't adjusted the way he needs to, and I don't know if he will. He scored a lot of points, and has been very successful at many, many, many spots. But will he adapt enough to make sure that the best teams, the Georgias, the Bamas, the Ohio States, the national championship contending teams, will they be able to consistently create an offensive threat doing what they're doing right now or do they need to adjust adapt and do things a little bit differently it'll be interesting and fascinating to
0: follow well hold on they did score a touchdown although it came in the final seconds but they did get on the board first touchdown from mike leach against that's Nick that's fair first one in, first one blocks. in
1: 178 minutes of game time they did score a touchdown which is jaw dropping like you think about that and i saw some headlines last week like Oh, look at Bama's pass defense. They got exposed. I And I tried to tell you on this show, every show I was on last week, I tried to say that is not the same pass offense as what Bama saw this past weekend. Like, Heupel is totally different from that of what Mike Leach is doing. So, not surprised that they struggled. Called the game last year. It was 49-9. I just think it's a really bad matchup for the Bulldogs and And I don't see them addressing it because I don't see Mike Leach completely changing his system. Lions, Tigers, and Tailgates. Oh, my. The college football season is always a great time of year. Besides the jerseys, the face paint, and the foam fingers, there's the food. And nothing gets you more fired up for game day than Eckrich smoked sausage. They're naturally hardwood smoked and have the perfect blend of spices. From buffalo sausage dip to Sausage, chili, mac, and cheese. Eckridge Smoked Sausage is a quick way to bring flavor to all your tailgate meals. Visit Eckridge.com for easy, one-of-a-kind sausage recipes. Eckridge, you do you. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence. The confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and the fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. All right, now getting into one of our favorite segments of the week. It's low-hanging fruit.
0: Coops, what do you got? All right, the first one down in ACC country, Clemson. There's a quarterback controversy brewing in Death Valley. Low-hanging fruit or truth? There's a quarterback controversy
1: brewing, but I don't think it's brewing amongst the coaching staff. And, and here's what I'm getting at. I tweeted this uh, as I was watching the game, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I was like, man, yes, DJ played awful. couple of bad picks. The one where he tried to force a post and it went high. That was a terrible decision. I don't know how you throw it. I mean, I really don't. I mean, it's a post against a post safety. Like the post safety is there to cover the post. You cannot throw that ball. I don't care what the circumstances are. And he missed a few others. I mean, he's throwing a kind of a a wobbly ball. that's not spinning. I just, I don't know. Like he's not playing great last week at all. All right. But if you can sit there and tell me that Cade Klubnick is without question, the better option, I'm going to have to disagree with you. Because based on what I saw, in Saturday's performance, it was it was a fine performance. And people said, well, he managed the game. What did he manage? Like, uh, he managed to get hit out of bounds? Like, he I know he didn't turn the ball over, but they didn't really put him in a position to turn the ball over. The person that needs to be credited and the people that need to be credited with that turnaround and with that win was the offensive and defensive lines. Because those were the groups that completely took the game over when Cade Klubnik went in the game and the defensive line, frankly, really beyond that of the first quarter, maybe the first quarter and a half, the defensive line started to tee off at that point anyways. So the defense and the line of scrimmage for Clemson, I think, is what deserves the most credit in the ballgame. Now, Cade Klubnik, he's going to be a great player in time. There's no denying that. Uh, but I have a difficult time. I mean, DJ Uyunglele, yes, he had a bad day where no one's going to try to spin it and say it was good. It was an awful day. Played terrible and was rightfully benched, but ultimately, do you know for certain that Cade Klubnick gives you a better chance to win? Because I don't, I really don't. Not based on a two for four for eighteen, not based on a nine of nineteen completion percentage this year. The only team that he had an above five, uh, above fifty percent completion rate was against Georgia Tech, and I know. Hey, you're going to say, well, against, you know, with the twos and all. So I get that. But I think you stay with DJ right now. Now, he's on a short leash. He's on a short leash. This thing is now back up for grabs. But if DJ plays well, the way he did, say, in the first five, six games of the year, there's absolutely no reason to make a quarterback switch right now based on what we've seen on tape. All right.
0: Staying in the ACC, Miami, who just lost to Duke by 24 points, will never be back the way their fans want them to be low-hanging fruit or truth? Uh,
1: Truth. They're never going to be back to where their fans want them to be because where their fans want them to be is the swagger filled teams of the late eighties, early nineties, and the swagger filled teams of the early two thousands. Like, I don't know if they're ever going to be that dominant again. Maybe. Maybe. But, I mean, that was a team that you honestly never thought was going to lose. But I do think that players nowadays, it's it's different. It's changed. And I don't know if you're going to be able to keep everyone at home. I don't know what the NIL situation is in regards to Miami. I've seen what the guy does their collective. I've seen what he tweets out. But I don't know what their NIL situation is. Will they be able to keep everyone from Dade County at home the way they once did? I have a hard time believing that too many people that have connections into Dade County that are recruiting Dade County that are getting guys from there every single year to everywhere, not just the Southeast schools, but the schools up in the North. James Franklin told us flat out, he goes, I'm still living in South Florida, trying to get guys in South Florida. Those are the guys we need. I just don't think Miami is going to ever get to the point in which they beat everybody by 40 and ultimately win national championship after national championship after national championship. But I do think if they build the program the way Mario built Oregon, then they can be extremely successful. Extremely successful. It's just, it's going to take a while because that's almost the antithesis of what Miami's been for the last decade. Miami's been really subpar on the offensive line. They haven't had a consistent rushing attack, it feels like, in forever. They've been good on defense, but maybe not elite on defense the way they once were. And then I think finally, I think right now Miami is in a little bit of a state of transition because they just haven't been able to be super consistent along both lines of scrimmage. You think of when they were their best. When they were at their best, they were great along the defensive line. I don't remember the last time they had a complete game-wrecking defensive tackle. I mean, game-wrecking defensive tackle, and they had one after another after another. Back in the day. So I don't think Miami's ever going to get back to where their fans want them to be. But I do think they can get back winning conference championships and being in the mix for a playoff berth every handful of years. All right.
0: Last one. Texas A&M, who just lost to South Carolina for the first time ever, is the most disappointing team in college football this year. Low-hanging fruit or truth? Uh, I
1: think based on paper, right, based on where they were in the preseason, based on where they're at now, where they're likely to finish now, there's no denying they're the most disappointing team. Uh, but I thought it was ludicrous where they were in the AP preseason poll. Like, okay, you lose all these veterans that underperformed. Now you're going to replace them with freshmen. What do you think the freshmen are going to do? I mean, I I just thought that when they were ranked, now I knew and I I acknowledged the talent. We talked about how they've kind of entered the realm of the blue bloods where it doesn't really matter what they looked like last year. They feel like they have so much talent that they have to be ranked in the top six or seven in the preseason because of what they could do if that all came together. But they still have yet to have a super dynamic quarterback since Jimbo's been in the mix. You could tell me Kellen Mond was, I will respectfully disagree with you. They still have not been able to attract complete, complete game changers there at wide receiver. Evan might be that. Evan Sewer might be that, but he's still young. He's still raw. He's still learning the nuances of the position. And I think three, the offensive line should be a position of significant strength. And it's among the worst groups in in not just the SEC, but among the worst groups in the power five. It just, it's mind boggling. You recruit that many five-star guys. You recruit that many guys that were highly touted and yet they still can't move anyone off the ball. Uh, it just it's it's troubling to me, man. And I, I think yes, on paper they're the most disappointing team. But my expectations for them coming in is that they were a year away, a year away. And I, I now I'm starting to wonder if they are a year away. Now I'm starting to wonder if maybe they're three years away. So uh, it's concerning. Uh, there are legitimate concerns and jimbo has to be have to have enough humility to look himself in the mirror and say this program needs changing and i i don't know if he's going to be willing to do that because he is not one that is just going to change and flip and adjust and all these other things because he likes things done a certain way and i just can't imagine him succumbing to the pressure from the outside world that expects him to make changes to his offensive staff and ultimately give up play calling.
0: This podcast is proud to be supported by jets pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why it's simple. Jets is better with the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country. There's no competition right now. Get $5 off any eight corner pizza with code eight save. That's the number eight S A V E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza, better because it has to be.
1: Do you have ambitious hiring goals for the last quarter of 2022? With a powerful hiring partner, big goals are no big deal. You need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. Indeed makes hiring all in one place so easy because it takes 10 minutes or less for most small business employers to post a job, according to Indeed Data US. Indeed also has a jaw-dropping pool of talent. In fact, three out of four US online job seekers Search for jobs on Indeed each month, according to ComStore. Join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to sponsor your job post at indeed.com slash always. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 offer. All right, got to give a tip of the cap to a couple incredible performances from this past weekend. And it was honestly... It was, on, it was on the cusp of being probably the most difficult week, given how many great performances they were. We referenced a couple already, but let's get into it. Bo Nix, 22 of 28, 283, five touchdowns. Jaden Daniels, not just with his arm, but also with his legs, accounting for five touchdowns overall and having nearly... 370 yards of offense. Just incredible what he was able to do. Will Shipley, we referenced Clemson. Everyone's going to be talking about the quarterback, and rightfully so. Don't forget what you have in the backfield in the run game. 27 attempts, 172 yards, and two touchdowns. He ran angry, too, at the end of that football game. Kendry Miller, two or 29 attempts for 153 and two touchdowns there in the remarkable comeback win against Kansas State. And then Day-Day Hunter, 23 for 213 and a touchdown. I would give credit to Jalen Hyatt, but he can't make the list every week. I mean, the guy had five touchdowns last week, two touchdowns this week. Like, now the expectations are elevated for him. You can't make big performances anymore. Can't. Because this is a weak performance by your standards, right? You don't have five touchdowns. It's an average day. That's the way I look at it. All right, other news and notes. The Charlotte 49ers have officially parted ways with their head coach, Will Healy, after a 1-7 and start, a disastrous start, frankly, for the 49ers. It started week zero, and it just never got better. They did have that surprising victory against Georgia State, but that came with 17 seconds on the clock. Other than that, it's been all downhill since Will Healy took the program back in 2019 to the first bowl, ba- bowl appearance in school history. They went seven and six that year. Look, Will Healy's a friend of mine. And I think that Will Healy's a really good football coach. If you can win games at Austin P, which is where he won games prior to Charlotte, you can win anywhere. I also think that getting to a bowl game at Charlotte is an impossible task. Now, this program's young, but this program's about to make the transition to the American. And they were paying Will Healy somewhere in the vicinity of around $800 thousand dollars a year now that's a lot of money to you and me it's a lot of money no doubt about it but i can tell you this position coaches at power five institutions are making eight hundred thousand dollars a year coordinators at power five institutions in some places are making more than two 2.1 2.2 in some cases 2.5 million dollars a year who do you think you're going to be able to get in for $800,000 to run your program and lead them into the next frontier to become a relevant American Athletic Conference football team? The answer is, I have no flipping clue. Because this program, as much as I think they're in a really neat part of a really neat city, this program just fired the best coach they've ever had. I don't know what the heck they're thinking. I'm not saying you have to live with one and seven. I'm not saying you have to be okay with mediocrity and performances that are far below mediocre. Yesterday's performance and the entire season for that matter has been atrocious. But we've seen this guy lead this program out of the depths in the past. How could you not justify giving him an opportunity to finish the season. It's absurd. I think it was a ridiculous decision, and I don't know if it's one that will bite them in the rear end, but I don't know how you can part ways with this guy in the mid-year. But either way, Will Healy out as the head coach of the Charlotte 49ers. He's a great dude. I hope him. Hope he and his family get a fresh start somewhere, and I hope they end up at a place that will allow him to get back to being very successful in doing what he's done in the past, and that's being a great culture builder, a great relationship builder, and a guy that can really reach the student athlete on a very personal level. So wish the best for him, and certainly wish the best for Charlotte in their pursuit of a new head coach. All right, final thought here, and I thought this was interesting. As I'm sitting there in the booth, we're putting a bow on Minnesota-Penn State, the whiteout, I might add, Everyone needs to check that out. It's just super cool. You don't even have to be a Penn State fan, but I promise you, you'll appreciate it. Make that pilgrimage there to Happy Valley. You'll be glad you did. But I'm sitting there putting the finishing touches on everything when it comes to the college football weekend. And we just need to be very careful, basically leaving teams for dead after a loss. And I'm going to give you a handful of examples right now of teams that are very much in the mix for big opportunities down the road that suffered a loss and were essentially eliminated in the court of public opinion. Let's start with the two lane green wave. All right, they're seven and one. Seven and one. Two is with a real chance to get to not the college football playoff, but to get to a spot where they can maybe, just maybe, get to the New Year's six. I mean, it'd be cool to see a Tulane in there as opposed to, no disrespect, not that I'm rooting against these teams, it'd just be cool for some fresh blood. I mean, we had Western Michigan that one year. That was pretty cool. But it's been Boise and Cincinnati and UCF, it feels like, almost every other time. Yeah, Memphis made it for sure. But I would love to see Tulane continue doing what they're doing and ultimately find their way into the New Year's Six. That's my group of five team that I'm rooting for. I just would love to see some fresh blood, and it feels like they have a real chance to do it, too. They're on the road at Tulsa. That's coming up in two weeks. They have bye week right now. They have UCF. They have uh, SMU, and then they have Cincinnati. They, of course, though, were left for dead after they lost to Southern Miss, which, by the way, was an atrocious loss. All right, There's no way to spin that. But they're not the only ones. Everyone's saying that Syracuse's season's done. It's not. Yes, they lose the head-to-head. They're a game and a half back in Clemson, but they can still rally and get to 10-9 wins, which is a heck of a season for the Syracuse Orange. Wake Forest, everyone left them for dead after they lost to Clemson. Well, they're sitting now in the top 10, and they, of course, have looked really good in the process. Everyone said North Carolina had no chance because their defense stinks. Well, they're 6-1, and one, they're leading the Coastal, and they're ranked 21st in the country. Everyone said TCU was dead not once but twice. Against Oklahoma State they were dead, and then against Kansas State they were dead. I saw it on Twitter, people saying they're done, it's over, the Big 12's out. Just be careful making these sweeping prognostications because you just don't know. Another team that was left for dead, Penn State, just a week ago everyone's saying they can't stop a nosebleed on defense, they stink. Yeah, they stunk that day. But they don't stink on the bigger picture, the Greater body of work, it's a much better Penn State team than most people are probably giving credit to right now. I think they're underrated at 13 and think they're going to continue to be an issue for everyone that they play, including Ohio State, when they tee it up. Next week, everyone said Illinois was done after they lost to Indiana. Everyone said that Bama was done after they lost to Tennessee. Everyone is now saying that Ole Miss is done now that they lost to LSU. And everyone's saying that Brian Kelly experiment was a complete failure after the Tennessee game. Like, Let's be careful with these prognostications. You just don't know how things are going to turn out, how things are going to flip. Kentucky, another example. They were dead after the South Carolina game. I mean, I have 15 examples of programs that are essentially left for dead. They should shut the program down after that loss, and then ultimately they get hot again and right back in the mix to potentially chase not just a conference championship, maybe a division championship, maybe a national championship. Oregon might be the best example. Because not only did we eliminate Oregon from the college football playoff conversation, but we eliminated the entire Pac-12 because of their performance against the Georgia Bulldogs. Now, is Oregon bad? Or is that a bad performance? Because we need to separate the two, and I don't feel like We do a good enough job of that as college football fans. If you lose a game, guess what? You're still in it. If you lose a second, you're out. But if you lose one, you're in. Or at least you're on the cusp of being in. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater if you have a result that disappoints you. There's still plenty to play for. There's still plenty of meat on the bone. And things can flip really quickly the next Saturday when you come out and upset a team that nobody thinks you're going to beat. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. For Mark Kubiak, for Jack Foster, I'm Greg McElroy. Please like, rate, and subscribe. We really appreciate you, man. It helps us out. It helps the show out. The interaction with you so far has been phenomenal. So thank you so much. Our numbers are starting to really grow, not just on YouTube, but also with our podcast downloads. We're so thrilled and honored. How many of you have subscribed? How many of you have rated? And our numbers are starting to, I'm not saying they're quite exponential yet. We're not quite on a trajectory like that, but we're on our way because of you guys. And we really appreciate it. Tell your friends too, word of mouth. We don't have a marketing budget. So word of mouth is huge. Tell your friends we're talking all of college football and we're gonna do it every single day because we love the sport just like you. For all of us here at Always College Football, I'm Greg McElroy. We hope you have a wonderful day. We'll be back with you tomorrow here on Always College Football. Hey, guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.